Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And before I get to what we're watching and talking about this week, I want to put at the front of the episode what we've been putting at the end of the episode recently, and that is, we are fast approaching our 100th episode of Way Too Seriously. Woohoo! Centennial for us! It's a pretty big deal! What we would like to do for our 100th episode is something a little different, is talk about Way Too Seriously and kids' movies and you as listeners to Way Too Seriously and watchers of kids' movies and we would love to have your thoughts, uh, letters, questions to read and respond to. We've had one or two questions of the... any, and questions can be anything but an example of the kind of thing that we wouldn't normally talk about when we're talking about a movie. Questions like, why are so many kids' movies musicals? Or, does a movie have to be seriously good to be very good? Or, those kinds of questions, all the way to, what's your very favorite movie ever? There's a range of the kinds of questions that we would love to be able to answer for you in a 100th episode. So if you have things you'd like us to talk about, or things that are nothing like what I just said, that you wish we would talk about on our 100th episode, get in touch with us by... You can do that by tweeting us. Way too seriously cast. We're laughing. If you hear laughter in our voice, it's because although I cut it out, I just stumbled so much over how to contact us, so I'm throwing it to Jan. Jan? You can contact us on Twitter at WTScast, by email, waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com, or on our Instagram or Facebook pages. Those links are always in our show notes, and you can always contact us there as well. That's right. That's how contacting us works. That's how contacting us works. Should Is it on with the show? It's on with the show. On with our show. So this week we watched and we'll be talking about Howl's Moving Castle. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? I sure do, because I don't want you to talk anymore. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants me to talk anymore. You're having a little trouble tonight. <laughs> so Howl's Moving Castle is uh, a Studio Ghibli film directed and written by Hayao Miyazaki, based on, loosely based, on the novel by the same name by Diana Wynne-Jones. It stars, uh, we watched the English dubbed version. It stars the voices of Gene Simmons, Emily Mortimer, Christian Bale, Lauren Bacall, Billy Crystal, Josh Hutcherson, Blythe Danner, Jenna Malone, and a few others. I have two comments on that cast list before we move on. Yeah. One is, although I cut it out, Jan spent about 10 minutes trying to say Josh Hutcherson. Josh Hutcherson. And the other one is, just for clarity's sake, Gene Simmons is J-E-A-N, not G-E-E, not G-A-E-N-E. Yes, it's not the lead singer of Kiss. <laughs> it is not the lead singer of Kiss in this movie. No. I assume she's the young... Uh, Sophie? 
She is old Sophie. Oh, she's old Sophie. Emily Mortimer is young Sophie. Okay. So, Paul, tell us about the plot of Howl's Moving Castle. Sophie works in a hat shop and leads a boring life. Then, the mysterious Witch of the Waste curses her into becoming old, and she goes off to seek adventure and stumbles upon Howl's Moving Castle, where she gets wrapped up in wizardly intrigue, and together Howl and Sophie convince the bad wizard, uh, what's her name, Suleiman, not to war anymore. <laughs> sort of. Or, or do they? It goes, it goes very strange. But uh, sometimes she's old, and sometimes she's not. And Howl is a wizard, and sometimes he's a bird, and sometimes he's not. And Calcifer is a demon, and sometimes he has a heart. And sometimes he doesn't. Yeah, that is approximately the plot of Howl's Moving Castle. We should, like, we read Howl's Moving Castle. We both have read both the book. We have both read the book and watched the movie before now. Mm -hmm. Each of us have. But we just read the book to our kids and then watched the movie with the ki our kids. And we had remembered, I had remembered, that the movie is quite different from the book. Yes. And prepared the kids, and that's fine. Uh, but it was interesting experience. The book is already a not, a... not a totally straightforward plot. No. With strange things happening. Uh, strange, inexplicable magic and and a confused narrative perspective because Sophie doesn't understand what's happening for a lot of the book. And then the movie starts the same way the book does and then goes off in a different direction. So it's even more like, what? Following, tracing the plot of this movie is not easy. Mm -hmm. But basically, Sophie meets Wizard Howell. And they have adventures. Yeah, exactly. So objectively, how good of a movie is this? How good of a job are they doing? I think... I mean, that's a, a complex question because mm -hmm. my first answer uh, that I totally stand by, but my opening answer is Studio Ghibli doesn't make bad movies. Mm-hmm. So when I'm thinking about how good a job they're doing on this movie, I'm thinking within the range of Studio Ghibli movies. Can we just stipulate all Studio Ghibli movies are good. Yep. This movie's good. Mm -hmm. It's well animated. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. beautifully animated. It's so interesting. And like the plot is strange, but in a very compelling way, I think. Mm -hmm. In as all Studio Ghibli movies are, the plot is not straightforward and the themes are not straightforward but they're you can tell that there's layers of depth in them mm -hmm. and there are things that are symbolic and you maybe can't entirely i certainly couldn't the first time i watched it put your finger on what they're symbolic of but you know that there's meaning there so those are all things that i always see in studio ghibli movies and always really enjoy in studio ghibli movies mm -hmm. and i'll just say outright out front this movie has all of those and meets all those characters, all those, uh, all that level. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. That is, 
you just you can't put you can't put a bad label on Miyazaki movies or Studio Ghibli movies. They all just have that amazing animation that is just um, layers upon layers of realism and then traditional Japanese like anime style plus just beautiful uh, character designs on top of that and like I said before when we talked about My Neighbor Totoro Mm -hmm. uh, you could take any frame from this movie and just pause it and it would be art yeah it's just so beautifully artistically like it's just a work of art and I like yeah yeah (laughs) so that being said can we break it down to some of the other elements sure like this it's complicated because this movie is japanese Mm -hmm. it's originally done in japan and so what we're experiencing when we watch it dubbed is a different version yep and the reason i think we've talked about this before but the reason we watch it dubbed is because our kids are not quite ready for subtitles yet. They're close. Actually, we've talked about maybe watching uh, Totoro with subtitles sometime. But uh, in general, kids can't handle can't really handle subtitles until they're at a fairly high reading level because it's tricky to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll just say like I think both of us would personally prefer the subtitled versions if it was for our own enjoyment. Yeah, generally, I would always watch them subtitled. But so the voice acting, the English voice acting for this movie is not the greatest, I would say. It's inconsistent. I think especially, I mean, who are you thinking of? I'm thinking of how none of the accents match. Mm-hmm. How you have Kristen Bale, who is Welsh, and Howell is supposed to be from Wales, and for some reason they don't have him doing a Welsh accent. Which makes zero... He has an American accent, which makes just no sense. When everyone else seems to be British, most of the the people... Sophie is. Sophie is. And he's the, like... The Witch of the Waste has an American accent. Mm. Um, She's voiced by Lauren Bacall. Yeah. Which is, like... Anyway. Quite a... a, Quite a role. Quite a role. Um... (laughs) I find, uh, and and Billy Crystal is Calcifer, and he's yeah, that's, using his own regular accent. Yeah, that's something to talk about as well. I find uh, Christian Bale's performance in this movie quite flat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, both old and young Sophie I liked. Yeah. And The Witch of the Waste I liked. Um... And and Suleiman didn't have much of a role, but I liked her too. I thought she did fine. But Christian Bale as Hal was it was doing quite a flat reading, mm-hmm. I thought. Exactly. And you had some thoughts about Billy Crystal. Why don't you say those? Yeah, well we talked about this as soon as the movie ended, that I love Billy Crystal. He's hilarious. He's so great in many, many things. But he's just not a voice actor. Entire, like, he was in Monsters, Inc. And he was funny in that. But there, he's got a funny voice. 
he struggles with the uh, uh, like the sound effects mm-hmm. that you have to do when you're a voice actor. And as Calcifer, he's good at like I like him in a way, but in other ways, like it just falls a bit short of what it could be. I and feel, I feel like a part of it, I feel like to me, my diagnosis is he can't quite do the sound effects right. And Calcifer needs good sound effects. Yeah. I feel like Christian Bale is also not a voice actor. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So they're like, Billy Crystal is, I, I could say, uh, as Miracle Max in The Princess Bride comes to my mind as one of my picks for the funniest performances in a movie like ever but i agree as a voice actor he's not he's he's not where he shines mm-hmm. as calcifer he was fine mostly <laughs> but not great yeah exactly yeah i think i liked his performance a little better than you did but i i agree it wasn't great mm-hmm Anything else to say? Like, we should maybe say a little bit in the objective section about there are quite a few very dramatic changes from the book upon which this movie is based. Yes. Do you have any thoughts about that? I have some thoughts about, um, but maybe I can save those to the way too seriously. Okay. Because I think I have more serious thoughts to get into there. Okay. I, in this context... I just want to say in not very serious terms that, like, I appreciate, and actually our daughter said this, when our older daughter said this after the movie, she said, and I agree with her, I appreciate the uh, boldness that is moving in a new direction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it bothers me, but that's when they move in a bad direction. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, like, they took the premise and then moved in a new direction, and I appreciate the boldness of that, and I thought they did really well. Mm-hmm. A different direction, but still a compelling story. So we've gone on a bit long about objectively. I don't know how objective we are, but let's go straight up, non-objectively. How much did you enjoy this movie? So much. Mm-hmm. I remember being really bewildered by this movie the first time I watched it. And I remember my feeling the first time being like, this is nothing like the book. Why why do this book if you're not going to do it? But watching it now, my enjoyment level of the book is higher than this movie because I, I enjoyed the book much more than I remember enjoying it, which was already quite a lot. But I also enjoyed this movie a lot. I really enjoyed it. How about you? I liked it. I I liked it because it was a Miyazaki movie. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot to bring my affection just with that name alone. Mm-hmm. Like you, the first time I saw this movie, I was just like, that was weird and didn't make any sense. And watching it a second time, it is weird and makes slightly more sense. (laughs) Like, I still struggle with this one. And I I like it enough that I feel like I could watch it six more times and understand it better. Yeah. So I... But I also feel like... 
it's not my favorite of his movies and it never will be. So without recognizing as is part of the premise of this show that there's a big difference between your favorite and your judgment of the objective quality Mm -hmm. in terms of your favorite, where does this fall on your Miyazaki movies? Can you give um, me a quick ranking of Miyazaki movies by your affection for by them? By my affection for them, it goes Totoro, Kiki, Spirited Away, Ponyo, this one. Then Princess Mononoke. <laughs> I haven't rewatched Princess Mononoke in a long time. Yeah, I always fall asleep <laughs> every single time. <laughs> so I feel like that's maybe maybe that's just judgment on me. Maybe I need to watch it very caffeinated or something. I'd put Totoro Spirited Away. I think I might put this above Kiki. Mm-hmm. And then Ponyo, Princess Mononoke, and I'm would like to rewatch Princess Mononoke. And then like I mean yeah, and then there's other ones that I'm forgetting about too, like The Wind Also Rises and Yeah. Nasca and other things that I'm yeah. Yeah. They just don't know as well to rank. Agreed. So let's move into the way too seriously portion of our show. Let's. Where would you like to start taking Howl's Moving Castle way too seriously? Well, like I said, I wanted to talk a little bit about the adaptation of it as uh, as it is, just to like mention that Diana Wynne Jones is, um, I think, British or American. I don't actually know, <laughs> but Western. She's yes. writing a story from a Western perspective. So the book Howl's Moving Castle is, like you said, it can be a little complicated and stuff. But what it does is it takes a whole big one of these books that takes a whole big complicated story. And wraps it up in a neat little bow at the end. And all these elements come together and get resolved. And you're like, oh, that's why that was that. And that's why that was that. And it was, it's a cool little mystery. Yeah. And I love that kind of book a lot. And what the movie, and the movie Howl's Moving Castle uh, takes her premise and just throws that neat little bow out the window. Mm-hmm. And I think because it's not a Western, it's a Japanese perspective. It's a different world they don't have an idea a different world what no same world uh a different culture than the one that i am used to the one that i grew up in then it's difficult sometimes to see like but i wanted my nice neat bow and the narrative tropes and expectations are different exactly you just don't have the same tropes in different cultures so on one level it's like, what did they do to my story? On another level, it's like, what did they do to my story? <laughs> like, they took, uh, he took, Miyazaki took this, uh, this story of, you know, wizards and magic and all this stuff, and he shifted it to a story about war and peace and identity and age and all sorts of themes that he just kind of looked at her themes and drew them all out mm-hmm. and in a just a non-linear way and i really enjoyed that and i think that that makes for uh our western eyes looking at this to to get a new perspective 
and to get a new idea of what story can be and of what uh, metaphor can be. And I think that that is really interesting. Diana Wynne-Jones is English, Welsh, by the way. There we go. Of course, she's Welsh. That makes sense. Born in London, raised in Wales. Um, Yeah, and I never, I'm never quite sure. It is absolutely the case that uh, narrative relies on cultural assumptions, on shared cultural uh, ground, and that a different culture has different shared ground. And so Japanese stories to a Canadian are a little bit uh, unexpected. Mm -hmm. But I also always wonder whether, like, how, how much is Miyazaki expected even within Japan? Because I think not. Yes, that is also true. I think even within his culture, he's doing something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, you know, I've seen other Japanese movies. Yeah. And it's not like they don't have a sense of a narrative arc. No, <laughs> right? no, like, no. Yeah. But Miyazaki's sense of a narrative arc is, is, it is clearly not what he prioritizes in his mm-hmm. movies, right? Yes, exactly. And they're way more about ideas and feelings than they are about narrative beats. Mm-hmm. And that can feel very, very refreshing. It can also feel alienating. Yes, exactly. For me, possibly because uh, having spent years studying narrative, I, I, I'm more likely to find those kinds of things refreshing than alienating. Mm-hmm. Um. And certainly House Moving Castle, I really liked that I couldn't necessarily predict what, where he was going with things. I read a uh, commentary on this movie that said that um, it was written during the Bush years mm-hmm. in the States. And uh, Miyazaki deliberately wanted to write which, a movie. Which Bush? Uh, George W. Okay. During the Second Iraq War. Okay. And Miyazaki deliberately chose to write a movie that would alienate Americans. Hmm. <laughs> because he wanted a pacifist movie that would be difficult for Americans to uh, so to cheer for while cheering for war at the same time. Hmm. So he wanted to alienate militaristic Americans. <laughs> And I, how accurate that is as a picture, as as an actual, what Americans are like, we could debate that. But, like, what he saw in American culture, he wanted to alienate that. Mm-hmm. And make a movie that would be difficult for Americans to like. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's Moving Castle. And I don't think, like, you mentioned the pacifism in a in passing. But I'd like to talk more about that in, like... The original Howl's Moving Castle, or the book Howl's Moving Castle, does not have a pacifist theme, really. <laughs> no, not as much. Like, it has a, a little bit of a... Because Howl is a trickster character, and trickster characters, as Diana Wynne-Jones likes to write trickster characters, her most powerful characters are always people who avoid direct conflict. Mm-hmm. And 
and her one of her tropes is she has characters who seem like they don't aren't powerful until the very end when they're actually the most powerful in the world and that's kind of howl and he doesn't seem powerful because he avoids circumstances where he has to show his power yeah uh and so i think there's a there's a core of a pacifist perspective in that that like trickster characters avoid direct conflict you can tease that into a pacifism mm-hmm. but what me what the miyazaki movie here does is not just tease that in it's like the central theme of this movie is pacifism and war mm-hmm. and not just war but like howl and sophie have their moment when they're seeing the warships pass over and they're like this is uh insanity and don't they see and we have to stop their dirty bombs and uh and then the other element of turning into monsters and once you've become a monster and killed things there's no going back yeah and the king wants howl to fight in his war and like that war doesn't exist in the book Mm -hmm. right and a big part of the conflict is they want to pull Howl into the war and he doesn't want to. Mm. And there's his character is uh, it's hard to pin down at first, but when you get a sense of it by the end, it's he's trying to avoid war. Like, it is central to who he is as a character in this mm. movie. It's not just a little theme. And I have to say, in terms of the way too seriously of this movie, like, sign me up. <laughs> War bad, says Paul. Yeah, we definitely, you and I, love a pacifist theme, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you think this movie does with its passive? Like, it, I have just said that it makes it really strongly. Do you think that it makes the pacifist argument effectively? Or is it an argument? I don't think it's an argument. Yeah. I think it's just a statement of, like this is what war can do and does. And I don't think there's any untruth in that. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to something a little different than what we're talking about with war. And just some of the elements that I wanted to touch on to give this movie accolades for is uh, Sophie as an old woman. Hmm. Miyazaki's other movies, uh, Totoro, Kiki, Spirited Away, um, are the three examples I mostly think of are about young people, about little girls, about Ponyo. Ponyo. Yeah. There's another one about kids and there's a lot of power in those movies about kids. They're really good. But in this one, it's about an old woman and Sophie is young and she gets transformed to an old woman, but it's just a different, it's a whole different ball game to watch an old woman on the screen rather than a young kid and is this is actually a question that i have is is the portrayal of sophie in this positive about oldness elderliness or is this uh or is it a negative portrayal because all she wants to do is go back she doesn't want to go back though she doesn't want to go back it is difficult like what happens in this movie 
that is so interesting about Sophie's old age, and maybe I'll add, answer your question with a question. Uh, why does Sophie turn young sometimes? What does yeah. that mean? Because she gets old, the spell turns her old. I think that it is not... I think it's all thorny and complicated because she's not old, mm. right? She's a young person cursed into an old body. Yes. Uh, and so it's not actually a movie about an old woman. Mm -hmm. It's a movie about a young woman who everyone sees as old, who is in an old body, but is, is a young woman. But there's some cultural assumptions with that old body that we see. Yes. And I think that... Uh, he gives her quite a I mean, firstly, because she's the main character, because she's the protagonist, uh, we're on her side and we see the world through her eyes and from her perspective. And mm -hmm. that gives it a lot of, like, she's not, we're not alienated from her just because she's old. Mm -hmm. We're pulled along right along with her. Mm -hmm. um, she, I think, finds power in old age. And that's pretty clear in the movie. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's like a big idea in the book too. Yeah. Um, but she, at certain moments, and it seems to be moments when she's feeling peace and love and, and kind of peaceful emotions, mm -hmm. she de-ages. Yeah. Our younger daughter's interpretation of that is whenever she forgets that she's old she stops being old mm -hmm. and i i don't know do you think that our daughter's interpretation of that is right what is going on with her de-aging sometimes why I does think, she yeah it's partly to do with she's forgetting she's old it's partly to do with i think when she is being powerful mm-hmm and uh, being herself, that brings, that makes her young again. And po possibly when she is admitting that she's in love with Howell? Yeah, I think so. And she she gets young when she's asleep, too. Mm-hmm. And the question then is, too, is when she gets young, what's... How do we read the symbolism of that? Is that meaning that uh, youth is joy and power and love? Or is that the spell that distorts her wears off when she's at her most power? Like, is she revealing her true self when she gets young again? Or is she revealing the power and beauty of youth kind of idea? Hmm. I want to say it's her true self. But I don't know. That if she'd been an old woman... Uh, cursed to be young <laughs> she would turn old when she was in love with Howell mm -hmm. when she's being honest with herself she reverts to what the spell took away from her well and that's what happens to the witch of the waste yeah. she becomes old we'll see and that's what I was going to say next like in terms of old age in this movie the witch of the waste has used magic to keep herself young and she's quite a physically grotesque character uh yeah despite having youth she's like her neck is weirdly wrapped her neck is weirdly yeah. wrapped she's 
but then the uh, wizard Suleiman takes off the spell that the Witch of the Waste has used to keep herself young and she turns old. And that's kind of a turning point where she goes from being an antagonist to being a comic side character. Mm-hmm. And she kind of slowly does that. She's We're a lot more sympathetic to her by the time wizard Suleiman takes off her enchantments. Mm-hmm. But once she's old, we're on like she's... This harmless old uh, woman, not a threat anymore, and also, like, turns very benign. What do we think of that? Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think of that, that, like, Sophie embraces her power of age, but then the witch the waste is the weakness of age. So it has to do with good and evil within those maybe because she but she's much more good when she's old yeah the witch of the waste and like the depiction of the witch of the waste when she's old feels like a really patronizing (laughs) image of old age frankly Mm. that's like oh sit the old woman in the corner pat her head she's like a child yeah right she's not a threat anymore and it's not maybe it's not because she's good it's just because her that is symbolic of her having no power yeah. at all and having so little power that like doesn't matter whether she's good or evil anymore mm-hmm. she's so powerless but that's she... also a statement on age and what happens mm-hmm. to people is they're, they're stripped of their power as they as they age beyond you know like the witch of the waste is supposedly like extremely old to the point of like she would be dead if she didn't have powers on her and so she's hundreds of years old mm-hmm. and at that age you i mean no one lives to actually hundreds of years but if you're you know like 92 years old you're not your power is taken away from you yeah and so this is what so you're not a threat mm-hmm but Sophie, some for some is like a younger old person. I don't know. I don't know. Where am I going with this? I'm not sure. Because Sophie finds power in her old age, but then when she really embraces it, she turns young again. And it feels mm-hmm. to me like as the movie goes on, it they never spell this out, but it feels like, uh, oh, the spell wore off. Like I could have. It would have made perfect sense in the logic of the movie if someone had had a line, which no one does have, of like, oh, the spell wore off uh, weeks ago. Now you're old because you believe you are. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. That's not actually text, but it feels like she has worked out the spell. The spell is no longer why she's old. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. And therefore that she turns young again when she wants to be. She doesn't quite realize that's what's happening, but I feel like we watching the movie. And yeah, and when she turns young, she keeps the gray hair. Yeah. She chooses to keep that element of age. What does that mean? She's changed by her experience? Yeah, she's changed. She can't go back again. Mm-hmm. That's a she cannot go back to the way she was. She's a new, a whole new thing by the end. Mm-hmm. What about... um? Miyazaki movies are all... I can't think of one that isn't except arguably Ponyo. Uh, he likes uh, female protagonists. Mm-hmm. He likes mostly 
young girls' protagonists. Uh, sometimes teenagers or women. But what do we think about feminism in this movie? About gender in this movie? I think that it's another good uh, good example of a of feminism in a movie but I also feel like there's a lot of the female characters in this are evil Mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of like Sophie's the only good woman out there yeah I mean, is she? Is, is, uh, I don't think Fran, uh, Fanny has, is named in this movie. No. Um, but Sophie's mother. Mm-hmm. She's not evil. I think one of she's the things. She's not great, though. She's not great. I think one of the things that the movie does that's so interesting is neither the Witch of the Waste nor Fanny are evil. The Witch of the Waste does a bad thing to Sophie, but she's evil in the book. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, she's kind of ambiguous. And they, Sophie and the Witch of the Waste kind of make their peace even yeah. before the witch has taken off the spell. And Sul- the wizard Suleiman is evil. She, and that's another change from the book. And I, like, I don't mean to say... To keep saying, like, well, in the mood, in the book. But it is always interesting changes because changes are choices. Mm-hmm. So Wizard Solomon is a minor character in the book and is a man in the book. Mm-hmm. And the movie turns him into a woman. Uh, and kind of conflates him with other women in the book. Yeah. And makes him, makes her the primary antagonist where the Witch of the Waste was in the book. Yeah. Um, what do we think about that? Yeah, to take... I like that he didn't turn any female characters male. Mm-hmm. He kept them as female. Uh, yeah. I kind of like Wizard Suleiman. I kind of like her character in the movie being... Uh, I don't know. I like the way... I liked the experience of being thrown off guard and pushed off my footing by the Witch of the Waste I thought was going to be our villain, and then she isn't. Yeah, Uh, that's very true. And I I just kind of enjoyed being off balance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I like that sometimes. Um. And that Wizard Suleiman is the villain instead, and she, you don't expect her to be. And that why Wizard Suleiman is a woman instead of a man. And I kind of like that too, because the answer is, why not? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, sure. I'll accept that. But turning her into a woman and a villain at the same time... Is that like a commentary on... I don't know. I don't really think it is. But it might be. Mm -hmm. Something to be concerned about. Unlike female power and who deserves it and who doesn't. 
But we have Sophie and Suleiman and the Witch of the Waste, three and maybe Fanny, three very different models of female power. Mm. And what I like about that is that they are not diametrically opposed the good way and the bad way. They're just different ways of having power and they're they're on a scale. The only one who's really bad is Suleiman in the end. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Sophie's mom isn't great, but she's also not bad. She's just, like, kind of shallow and normal. Normal yeah. as in, like, uh, human with no magic powers. Yes. But, like, she's kind of shallow. But she's not, like, abusive or neglectful. Maybe a little neglectful. A little neglectful. <laughs> Anything else you want to say, add, ask? I feel like there's so many things we could talk about in this movie. <laughs> yeah, like, pick, but, a, pick an aspect pick an aspect and we can talk, talk about, about it for so a like, while. I think that is a way to sit, like... like we could sit here and talk about this for, like three hours so but we won't <laughs> so i think is it good is it seriously good i think uh it's good yeah it's good and i think it is seriously good because of like what i just said because, because it's all complex it's all complex it's all uh fascinating and deep and it's I don't see anything really objectionable in it that I would object to. And I think it's good and seriously good. I agree. I would call it both good and seriously good. Yep. Our older daughter, when we finished this movie, said, this was my favorite movie ever. Yeah. I was shocked. She was like really into it. Because I was like, this is very different from the book. It's just like, you know, be aware of that. And she was just like, I am into this she didn't this just, is a thing like she did not just like it she said it was her favorite movie ever yeah <laughs> which all so right I didn't, I didn't like it quite that much yeah like that almost <laughs> upped it in my affection just hearing her say that i was yeah. like oh she's seeing more than i'm seeing <laughs> and both our kids had really thoughtful things to say about it and, mm-hmm. and things that i hadn't quite even noticed yeah yeah all right. Well, if you like Howl's Moving Castle book or movie, you can talk to us about either one. We just talked about the movie, but we also just read the book and like it. So you could talk to us as if we were people. You can talk to us all the places we said at the top of the show. I'm not going to relist them. Mm-hmm. Go listen to the top of the show. Anything else we need to say? Oh, yeah. Don't... Like us, support us on Patreon if you want us to keep making stuff. Don't forget to send us something for our 100th episode. Yeah, please do. It'll be uh, sad if we say for our 100th episode, we got no correspondence from anyone. That's the end of our 100th episode. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to happen. We can talk forever about nothing. So I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And I painted, you may have noticed that I've painted our doorknob with various different colors. Just only open it green up. Do me a favor, please. I opened it red down. Oh no! (laughs) 